1: Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Proverbs, chapters 5 through 9.
0: My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thy ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, And her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. This is strong language. This is the kind of sex education that God gives. God is saying that a pure life should be led for the sake of the home later on. That's what he's going to lay out here. This is far more than just an individual indiscretion. You know, I'm always amused by the people, they they speak of victimless crimes. That very term implies that nobody loves them. When you indulge in a sin, you're committing a crime against everyone that loves you. Think about it. And uh, see, there are a lot of problems in the homes in America that started before the wedding, that started with premarital sex and laid the foundations for the problems later. Psalm continues, her feet go, speaking of the the strange woman is the woman that's other than a wife. It typically implies, in some contexts, a non-Israelite woman, a Gentile, that's among them. There's often a a tendency to equate Gentile uh, behavior and and, uh, fornication behavior together. Her feet go down to the death. Her her steps take hold on hell. This is strong language. This isn't a social indiscretion. There's something far deeper involved here. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life. Her ways are movable that thou canst not know them. Um... Her ways are varied, is another way to translate that. Um, in other words, such a way to prevent you having true knowledge of her character and thus any path to true happiness. Thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her and come not nigh the door of her house, lest thou give honor unto others, give thine honor to others, and thy years unto the cruel. You're talking about bondage, in effect, that you're heading for. Notice that the first step is to flee the opportunity. Many people, when they think of David and Bathsheba, often often the movies, they recognize he was glancing off his balcony and saw this gal and got excited about it and went ahead. What most people don't realize, there's all kinds of reasons to believe she was... That was not the first time they met. There's family relationships that would brought them. He obviously... uh, I'm not saying didn't wrong I say there's a prelude that likely happened it wasn't just a glance although that would have been sufficient Um, anyway let's move on lest strangers be filled with thy wealth and thy labors be in the house of a stranger and thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed and say how have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me You hear in this an anticipation of the nightmares that infidelity leads to. And we could give you, go into all kinds of statistics, but I don't think it takes any insight to realize that venereal disease alone, not that that's the only danger, venereal disease alone, AIDS and so forth, has reached epidemic proportions. Over a thousand teenagers get venereal disease uh, contracted. Per day in America, over a thousand per day. Psalm continues I, I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation assembly. Drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. What's he talking about? Is he talking about water? He's talking about your spouse. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of uh, waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own and not, uh, not strangers with thee. Your offspring should be from your wife, not from a strangers, what he's really saying here. It's pretty straightforward language, actually. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace, embrace the bosom of a stranger? He didn't put a marriage wall around sex to rob us of pleasure, but to increase pleasure and to protect the pleasure. Solomon explains the disappointments that come when people violate God's loving laws of sexual purity. God made sex, and to really enjoy sex, you want to get your instructions from the designer. Compromising that design leads to disaster. It also leads to gaining less than intended pleasure uh, from its proper use, and that's um, I don't think you'll find that in any sex education classes in, 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 that, that that are given to our kids. And I, and I love verse nineteen because these animals that allude that loving hind and pleasant roe are are, are um, well known beauty is, is is the allusion here, and uh, the word ravished here, be thou ravished always in our love, is the the Hebrew is intoxicated, intoxicated. Or fully satisfied, probably comes even closer. It's interesting to see how God speaks of the physical uh, love in the marriage. He lifts it to the highest plane. And uh, we need to remember that marriage was designed by God. All these attacks in our culture are attempting to break down the home. That's Satan's strategy. The home, the family, is a God-ordained institution. For this reason shall man leave his mother and his father and cleave to his wife. There's a leaving as well as cleaving involved. That's quoted twice by Jesus Christ, Genesis 2.24 in the New Testament. And uh, the whole part of the whole promotion of immorality in our culture, whether it's the homosexual aspect of it, or whether it's just the, the uh, adulterous aspect that's celebrated in our media, in our, in our entertainments, and exported uh, around the world, is all Satan's attack on the home. On the home. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, he pondereth all his goings. Woo! Nobody's watching. Wrong! There is somebody that watch- never misses a, a thing. I'm reminded of the, the, the grandchild that asked grandpa, kind of nervously, Does God know what I'm doing when I'm by my, you know, alone? And the grandfather looked at the son and the grandson and said, God loves you so much he can't take his eyes off you. I love that answer. The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth all his goings. We need to realize that God is watching all the time. And uh, Often. I'll be with Nan shopping or something, and I'll be in a grumpy mood or something, and she'll remind me, you know, that I can't afford to act the way I feel like acting sometimes. Because you don't know that that checkout clerk at the, uh, uh, you know, at the market or the bank teller at the bank, aren't one of our subscribers, you know. I was going through, I was going through uh, you know, TSA in, in the airport, you know, where they, and I have a bad attitude about TSA. And I was going through. I wasn't doing anything wrong, but I was thinking a lot of things. And, and as we just as, as we finished going through, and I put my shoes back on, so you know the, the, the procedure. As the guy handed me back my laptop and so forth, says, "We love your tapes, Chuck." <laughs> uh, whoa! <laughs> if if I had evidenced the way I really feel about that whole charade, uh, I would have been a bad witness. And uh, it's interesting that we need to understand. I get reminded frequently, very often just in the nick of time, <laughs> that we're always under observation. And that's not the observation that counts. It does it from a witness point of view. The Lord's watching all the time. And He's keep His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. This, of course, is the negative side of it. You realize there's no jury at the white throne judgment. There's no jury. There's no appeal. Hey, everybody's doing it. That's going to be a very empty defense. Yeah, I know I had an affair with so-and-so, but, gee, everybody was doing it in those days. No. The guy that wrote the laws is the guy sitting at the bench and his word is final. There's no appeal from that. Let's go through some summary. Sexual sins, first of all, will disappoint. The experience goes from sweetness to bitterness in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5. The book of Proverbs emphasizes the importance of looking ahead to see where your actions will lead you. Check the destination before you buy the ticket. It's going to be a disappointment. You're going to go from gain to loss, according to chapter uh, chapter 5, verses 7 to 14. Temptation always includes hopeful promises. Otherwise, people would not take the devil's bait. It always sounds good, it's always hopeful. It's going to be sweet. No, it's going to be bitter. You're going to have a gain here. No, you're going to have a loss. What is the most expensive thing you can spend on? Sin is always, ultimately, the most expensive thing in the world. No matter how easy it looks, no matter how available it sounds like, it's going to prove to be the most expensive thing in your life. From purity to pollution. It's interesting how Solomon uses the fresh flowing water to speak of the marriage and the cesspool of pollution of the gutter To speak of anything outside that. That's his idioms back there. From purity to pollution. If the husbands and wife will obey the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 7 and Ephesians 5. Neither of them will look for satisfaction anywhere. And By the way, gals, this is not just aimed at the men. You know, the classic idiom is that guys fool around. It is shocking to Nan and I. To discover how many women in the ministry leave their husbands for some affair. I don't know if it's always been that way. If that's a more recent thing, I have no idea. But it's astonishing to us the plurality of pastors whose wives have run off on some escapade and left left their homes. It's astonishing. So this is not, you know, get the guys night. Sex within marriage is a beautiful river that brings life and refreshment, but sex outside the marriage is a sewer that defiles everything it touches. One thing about sin is it's contagious. It touches more lives than you can imagine. And what we need to do, each one of us, is put in your notes 1 Corinthians 7, the first 15 verses, and Ephesians 5, from point 2 and following, you'll take those two passages, it'll solve all your problems. If you take those two passages seriously. From freedom to bondage. I believe the third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, has nothing to do with vocabulary. It has to do with ambassadorship. If you're taking the name of the king, if you're calling yourself a Christian, if people around you are judging Christianity by your behavior, you have an obligation to the king to represent him fairly. And uh, well, we could go on. And obviously, there's no more prevalent bondage lurking in our weeds than sexual impurity in our culture. And that's a kind of bondage that cannot be easily broken. And you can get the verses from the notes. I'm not going to go through each one here. Let's go to chapter 6. Chapter 6 seems to shift gears, at least for the first portion of it. It's sort of tabling for the moment, the sexual impurity thing. It's going to talk about good business principles. There's a sigh of relief of a lot of guys in the audience now. Okay, we'll get into something else, right? My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, in other words, you've signed a a, uh, you know, a, a um, what's the term I want? Um, yeah, you ca- Cosine. yeah, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, if, if, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand, or shook hands with a stranger, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth, thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. It's presuming, by the way, the context here, you did that for pride. Why else would you do it? You see? Why would you, a guarantor, that's what I'm looking for, yeah. Why would you be a guarantor? Pride is at the roots of it. What Solomon is telling you, if that's the case, do this now, my son, and deliver thyself. When thou art come into the hand of thy friend, go, humble thyself, and make sure, thy friend, give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter, and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. In other words, if that's your situation, undo it as quickly as you possibly can. Which is another way of saying, don't do it in the first place. Or if you've somehow found yourself in that situation, fix it and fix it now. Many, many of you know that when I was in the deal world, wheeling and dealing, I signed an $8 billion joint venture with the Soviet Union. And uh, that, when that started to unwind... The corporation I was responsible for got, found itself in serious trouble. And uh, most people assume it was because Russia broke Russia's breakup that caused, well, root might have been the root cause, but the real problem was that my, my Jewish friends explained to me what a guarantor is. That's a schmuck with a pen. <laughs> and that, that, and I, I was very aggressive, very arrogant, very prideful, and it guaranteed some things that took us down. Now, the Lord, use that, don't misunderstand me, but uh, um, anyway, don't be a guarantor, is what the scripture says. As it goes on. And then he said, take, take a look at the contrary here. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. <laughs> Consider her ways and be wise, having, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. In other words, the ant is being used here as an example of diligence. Diligence in preparing in the winter, but there's another element here that's often overlooked. Without supervision. There's two points. Obviously, it's using the productive season to prepare for the unproductive season. Understand. But there's another thing here. Which having no guide, overseer, or ruler. You should conduct your personal life with with more or at least as much diligence as if you, you are your own supervisor. You know, many of us do better when we have someone uh, guiding us, supervising us. Many, there are many people you find in life that do better if they're working under deadlines, whatever. But the, 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 the example here is one, that to be wise, having no guide oversee a ruler. In other words, to be competent enough, diligent enough on your, your personal habits to be effective. Providing meat in the summer uh, so that uh, you can gather food that harvest for the winter. It goes on, how long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard, when thou, wilt thou rise out of thy sleep? (laughs) And then it gives you the contrary thing. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. How easy, how easy it is for any of us to sort of kick back and relax Sit out a little bit. Let's get a relax. A little R&R. And uh, first thing you know, poverty climbs on us like, like someone in, in haste and your want or destitution as an armed man. No, this, the, the ant works when he can to prepare for the times he can't. And we need to do the same thing. Many people, uh, many competent advisors are looking at the horizon and to begin to recognize that there are some very dark days ahead for this country. And uh, they may not be next month or next three or four months, but downstream it's clear to anyone that's done some analysis, there's some fundamental adverse change, changes occurring on our country. And uh, you can't change that, particularly. You, you and I can't deal with some of that. We're not at policy level positions on the one hand. On the other hand, if you can see the winter coming, you... Start preparing. And there's all kinds of things you want to analyze and think about and recognize that uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. But moving on. A naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a froward mouth. He winketh with his eyes. He speaketh with his feet. He teacheth with his fingers. This is a description of a wicked person, a son of Belial. And uh, frowardness... Excuse me, frowardness... Is really um, perverseness is the easiest way, the term we would use. And this guy that is this—he winketh with his eyes, speaketh with his feet, teacheth with his fingers. He is full of double meanings. That's a danger signal. Be careful. That means he's less than straightforward. Perverseness is in his heart. He he devises mischief continually. He soweth discord. That's another flag. That's raised here. and We're going to see that all through the book of Proverbs. That um, he soweth discord. Watch out for those that sow discord. It's an it's a, it's a advanced symptom you want to be alert to. Solomon continues, Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. You don't want to be yoked with him. He's not your partner. There are six things the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. This is a strange construction that you frequently see in the Bible. There are six things or yet seven. It's a, it's, it's, it sounds strange to our ears, but it's a way of emphasis. There's six, no, not even that, there's seven. Okay. It's interesting to see the order. The word the seven impl- is not divine, it's complete. Many people say seven means divine. No, it means complete because Satan has seven heads and so forth. But anyway, um, each one of these things the Lord... By the way, did you know the Lord hates? That shocks me. I thought we had a God of love. Yes, we do. But he's also a God that hates certain things. We need to understand his buying habits. We need to understand his preferences. Very important. And um, each one of these things that he hates are descriptions of the flesh, are descriptions of the flesh. Um, They reveal the total depravity of the species. What are they? A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. That's quite a list. That's quite a list. God hates. That catches many people. And this is not the first mention of that, by the way. Uh, Back, The first mention is actually in Psalm 47, uh, the great millennial psalm. Solomon has already told us that in Ecclesiastes 3.8, he says that there's a time to love and a time to hate. God does hate. Deuteronomy 16. Neither shalt thou set thee up any image which the Lord thy God hateth. He hates. Idol worship. He hates, he hates false worship. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness, Psalm 45, and so forth. Okay. So, on God's hate list, it's interesting that a proud look is listed. Actually, what the word in the Hebrew is, the eyes of loftiness. He puts it ahead of murder, he puts it ahead of drunkenness. Why does God so hate? A proud look. Why is that number one on his list of hates? Head of murder and other things? Because that's where, it all, that's where all the problems started. Job 40 verse 12, look on everyone that's proud and bring him low, tread down the wicked in their place. In Isaiah 14, we learn about Satan. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation on the sides of the earth. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Satan's pride is where it all began. And when we have a proud look, we're reflecting Satan. That's why God hates it. Okay, the second one's a lying tongue. I'm sure that doesn't involve anyone here in this room. Psalm 116 says, I said in my haste, all men are liars. Psalm 120, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Psalm 51, behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Into thy hand I commit my spirit, thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth, and so on. The next one is hands that shed innocent blood. heart that devises wicked imaginations. We could go and elaborate each one of these. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, fault-wins, blasphemies, and so That's a Matthew 15. It's out of the heart. That's what God hates, that because our heart devi- devises wicked Im- imaginations. Feet swiftly running to mischief. And uh, God is dealing here, of course, with the anatomy of mischief and, and uh, evil, iniquity. It doesn't just the feet, it's the eyes and the hands, the heart, and so forth. And Isaiah sp- you said, thy feet run to, uh, to evil, make haste to shed innocent blood, and so on.
1: You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Proverbs. Download the K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the iTunes or Android app store. Or search K-House TV on your Roku streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series... May God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.